0: Welcome to episode four of Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd and I'm joined by my partners, Casey Siddons. I'm here. That's it? That's all you're going to say? Yeah, I'm here. How you doing, Casey? I'm doing great. All right. Where's
1: Mr. Craig? over here. here. Yeah, I'm here. I'm
0: here. <laughs> All right, guys. It's good to be back. Uh, any wonderful feedback on episode three, Mr. Siddons, since you are, you're responsible for keeping track of our Twitter feed?
2: We have some great feedback on Twitter. We had a lot of people answer our questions this week and last week. So keep uh, following us and retweeting us and getting at us on Twitter. <laughs>
0: Whatever that would be. <laughs> Whatever that would mean. At RW Dodd. At CH Siddons. And
1: at Peter Crable.
0: All right. Okay. So let's jump in. Uh, let's get some updates from the past two weeks. Last week was the inaugural game of the 2017 2018 NFL season. We have to check in on two things Mr. Crable's fantasy team or teams. And uh, Aaron Rodgers' mustache. Oh, man.
1: So I'm basically a fantasy guru.
0: (laughs) That's all you got to say about that. I'm going to be flush with cash at the end of the football season. So did you win week one? I did. Yeah, man. Very nice. Very nice. How'd, how'd, How'd Mike Wallace do for you? Um, Mike, Evans. Mike Evans. Yeah, he didn't play because there was a hurricane. So. He's, a, he's a former interviewer for CBS News. He is. Okay, yes, sorry yes. about that. Go
1: ahead. And Casey, what about uh, Mr. Rogers' mustache? I think he shaved it recently.
2: Uh, uh, so apparently some people are upset about it. Um, Aaron Rogers looks like the sheriff brought in to clean up the town from the evil cattle baron. <laughs> That's what one person tweeted. I think I his nice. wife,
1: if he's married, probably made him shave it. That's usually what happens to me. It's
2: generally, generally the, yeah. the breaking point. Yeah. yeah.
0: He had a good win over the Seattle Seahawks.
2: Yes, they did. All right, It wasn't a, a stellar win, but it was a decent win. All
0: right. So Mr. Craves, we'll check in next week on your oh, Please do. On Lo- your, love giving my updates on your fantasy teams. <laughs> all right. So we have a great show uh, tonight. I just want to plug again next our, our next episode we are going to be featuring education excellence for the first time. Very excited. Yes, it's going to be a new segment. Uh, we're going to it's going to be all about success stories in education. And, um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, any, any updates on Facebook? Have you done any posts on Facebook, Mr. City? I, d- I,
2: I, don't really know how to use I'm sure Facebook. I'm a little unclear if anybody uses Facebook anymore. No. Old people. Old people do. Yeah. yeah. People my thing. age, g- Gen Xers. Yeah. And above. There's a lot of people that have friended me. Right. And I, I don't. Because they think it's you. They think it's me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, this, I complained is, this is a, my blog, guys. I complained to <laughs> Facebook, and they didn't respond to me.
0: They're like, sorry, your friends are friending you. Correct.
2: Yeah, yeah. which is – it is what
0: it is. All right. So in today's episode, we are going to get back – I'm going to go from the from the, from the the end of the show forward. We are going to revisit Dear Betsy, which we've heard great yes. feedback about the Dear Betsy segment. And Mr. Sids, you're going to lead us through that. Uh, I'm on it. Are you going to make up a quiz show at the end?
2: No, I have so I have a quiz show ready.
0: Okay, yep. all right, and then near and dear to your heart again, Mr. Siddons, we're going to talk about teacher autonomy, and we're also going to talk about what constitutes a failing school, and what we should do in education to address failing schools. Yep. So I'm let's let's jump into teacher autonomy. So Casey started talking about this several weeks ago. Um, And then we had a little bit of a a tense group text exchange because I, like I usually do, I I tweaked Mr. Siddons about teacher autonomy. Uh, Right? Yeah, I. So
2: I wanted to talk. I've been going into a lot of classrooms in the last couple couple weeks, and every every now and then I come back to this because I I feel like we're doing kids a disservice in some ways with the things the lateral that we give teachers to. To, to do in their classes and I actually got some some interesting tweets one tweet was about on, before, um,
1: before you get too deep into it can I frame this a little bit just frame yeah, sure go frame ahead. it so I think the, the question is just for anybody out there that's not familiar with it is how much autonomy should teachers have in their own classrooms to make any variety of decisions versus how much should be given to them how much should they be told what to do uh, etc. etc. So that's really the question is how much and should or if you know, whatever right, um, autonomy
0: should teachers have?
2: Yeah, and I so the I put it out there to the the tweetos none they
0: shouldn't have any. <laughs> <Really>? yeah, <none. laughs> okay, let's move on to the next. Segment. So we solved it, yeah, right. I, and I, I framed the segment. tweet in a
2: way that maybe wasn't the best way to frame it, but it was to what extent should a teacher's practice be centrally defined by administrative or leadership teams? The way that it was framed. Made it seem as I, I, it came off as being like that, that the, that the teachers' practice was going to be completely controlled. And Curtis, um, he replied. He said, "Centrally defined sounds too controlling. Administrators should control for outcomes, but let the teachers develop professional autonomy." Who's but, Curtis? Curtis Linton. Oh, yeah, esteemed author, esteemed author, okay. A potential equity warrior. Guest? He is, yeah. Okay. Supposedly. Okay. Good. Um, so, th- but wh- where are my? thoughts came from it was i was in a class and i went to several middle school classes and every every single teacher had a different procedure for things that really i think would be helpful if it was sent if it was one way to do it so the kids come in they got
0: to make their own choices (laughs) what do you mean I, i mean everybody got to do something different and do something that worked for them
2: no, what I'm saying is no. Let me let me let me finish the the frame. Okay. Let me finish the frame.
0: I feel like I understand it pretty much what you're saying. Yes. you so, just said you want it would be better if there was a centralized way to do it.
2: So what I so I am thinking more along the lines of like the administrivia stuff. Maybe there's a this uh, the same way for kids in sixth grade to like to hand in a form.
0: I know, like your pet peeve you about so kids fired up. about kids walking up the wrong way in the stairwell. Do you remember that? Weren't you the one that had real issues with the way – with kids going going down when they were supposed to be going up? Oh, yeah. I gave up on that very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> okay. I'm just using that because it, oh, it seems a little similar to this. Yeah, it's a routine.
2: It is a routine. But I think it's harder to it's harder to control that kind of stuff. It's in the hallway because it's in the hallway. I'm talking about like how do kids head a paper and, and title a paper. How do kids hand in something in a classroom? What do they do? Where do they do it? Um how do kids do their warm-ups things that are like structural pieces of a classroom
1: this is especially amusing to me because
2: (laughs) i know i know you're gonna say like
1: everything he's saying i'm like who are you (laughs) and i feel like that should be me like i'm like wait i think i think that but then i don't know over the last couple years i've kind of gone in the opposite direction and i'm just like yeah man give teachers like total autonomy in the classroom to make the decisions that they're going to make to do what they're going to do and if it's working great and if not then you know you step in or provide supports or give feedback or or whatever the case may be but it's just so funny that here we are and i i feel pretty the opposite way of just like yeah total incomplete control (laughs) or like lack of control or whatever you want to say for teachers and your uh you know like the russian gulag system or something Uh,
2: i am not going that far i'm just saying i i just think there are things that could be agreed upon as a staff that that might help students be more successful in the classroom from like a starting point
0: so we make better widgets
2: yeah we standardize things standardize things not a lot of things but things that like i would assume that some people wouldn't care about but where do you stop that's it. <laughs> Once you, you have universal <laughs> healthcare, now we're going to control everything. I don't know. Where so, do you a question:
1: How do you think teachers feel about their autonomy levels in the classroom? Any guesses?
0: Tim Walker, The Atlantic, wrote an interesting article on the basically on the perspectives of three teachers from Finland who had spent various amounts of time teaching. Oh, those poor teaching poor in me. the United States. Um, and so one of the one of the pieces of information in the article it's a good article it's an interesting article is according to the National Center for Education Statistics teacher autonomy is, uh, autonomy is positively associated with teachers job satisfaction and retention and while most US public school teachers report a moderate amount of control in the classroom they say they have little autonomy
2: and and I agree with that I think I'm I'm not saying that we that teachers should not have a t- autonomy I I think in terms of content and teaching delivery, you should be able to do what you want. As long as the assessment is the same between cohorts, as long as you've collaboratively created those assessments, the way that you get there, I I, I don't have a care for. I think my argument came from the fact that we have kids that are transitioning into middle school. Maybe it would be helpful for them to have the same expectations or similar expectations from from teacher to teacher.
0: I think, um, if I can recall back to when I taught, to your point, one of the things that teachers lack often when they start teaching is are those routines and um, kind of standardized processes within their classrooms to manage behavior, manage work. They don't know how to do it. You don't know how to do it until you start to do it. And even then, you fumble around and you make mistakes. Um, and I think that was
1: evident in our conversation last week. Yeah with a first-year, second-year teacher, was he said that that was, that's, he, that was the thing, Absolutely. the behavior management and right. just the routines of, like, I want to put kids in groups. Right. I have no idea how to do it. Right. So so, anyway. so
0: so to that point, I had a teacher, Jane Gallagher, who worked across the hall from me, who uh, would come in my classroom after school and look at the stack of papers on my desk, and she'd say, what are you doing with these? <laughs> uh, what Are you really going to grade them? <laughs> how, how are you going to – how are you organizing how you give – the kids' feedback, how you get the papers back to the kids in a reasonable amount of time. She she taught me systems on how to do that work. And and I think if we have good teachers working on teams with other teachers, then I think they can come to mutually shared agreements about how they do it. I, I have a bit of a problem standardizing that from kind of a bureaucratic perspective. Right that IL leadership teams or administrative teams, um, even department heads at the secondary level will tell teachers, this is how you do it. This is, I think you show teachers multiple ways to do it and then let them pick what works for them.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that's kind of where I am, where you show them how to do it, but ultimately that's your job as a professional to do it. And I will say one other point is that teachers since 2003, 2004, the rate at which they feel they have autonomy has decreased. Um, so the percentage who said they had low autonomy in 0304 was 18% and then this is I mean 6 years ago but 2000 by 2011 12 26% felt like they had low autonomy in the classroom. And the my sort of issue with this is I I do think the teachers want it both ways is that when they're given a curriculum and told right. to follow a curriculum that they feel like, oh, I'm being told what to do and I don't have they feel any strain I don't have any freedom. But if you weren't to give them a curriculum, look out. I'm not being supported. Right. I don't I'm not giving the materials that I need to be successful. I have to create everything myself. So I definitely think it's a little bit of um, the grass is always greener. So they get a curriculum, it's too much. They don't have a curriculum, it's not enough. Um, and I think some of the the perceived lack of autonomy is totally self-inflicted. So I've had conversations with teachers where they're like, "I have to do this by this date and I have to give this test." And I and I'll ask them, I say, it "Says who?" Well, I just have to do it. Well, I'm an administrator. <laughs> I'm not telling you that." Right. Who so who's telling you that? Well, I don't know. I just I just thought that I had to do it. So I think there's a total self-pressure of feeling like they have to do something when really it's not there at all.
2: Interestingly connection. Interesting connection. Jeremy tweeted us he said, Mistake, uh, one of the things about autonomy and, and what makes teachers feel like they don't have autonomy in the classroom, mistaking common planning and objectives and PLCs as meaning you must be lockstep with other teachers. I also think insecurity, which is what you're talking about, mm-hmm. insecurity on the part of teachers fosters this.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with Jeremy. Jeremy. Um, and I think the other piece, so I read a little bit about from Mark Tucker, who's the president and CEO of the national center on education and the economy
2: that sounds really fancy
1: yeah it sounds like wow. a really interesting
0: jeez technique. he makes a lot of but money more, the more and more we do this podcast the more and more Crabble's getting into research he's, he's researching wants, things he really eric.gov so tell me to and then he, he used to tell me not to sound too researching <laughs> when we would be in meetings do but, what i do know what i say. Yeah, yeah, right. go ahead so anyway what he, what you know mckinsey what did mckinsey say uh, yeah
1: let's see will have the last word don't worry <laughs> anyway um so <laughs> what Mark Tucker. Mark Tucker said, "Was uh, you give people more autonomy when you're confident that they can do the job if they have it, and basically that the, you want what you really want to do is build the the quality of teacher, improve the quality of teacher, and then you give them the reins. And if you don't do all these things, and all you do is give more autonomy to teachers without improving." Um, the education that they're getting, without improving the sports, or the supports that they're getting, watch out because you're going to have low, right, um, low outcomes. So it's right. not just about oh yeah, just give autonomy and that's a panacea for everything. It's you know getting dedicated, skilled professionals and all these other supports in place, and then giving them the autonomy once they've you know you yeah. know that they can handle it. Yeah.
0: Uh, didn't he also say something about that autonomy also has to do with the 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 pool of teachers that were. Um, that we currently employ another other words uh it kind of gets back to that mckinsey report (laughs) that if you are attracting highly competent really really qualified people by whatever measure you're using then the autonomy should be there and then it's also there because you're sinking a lot of resources into them to develop them yeah Uh, conversely which was kind of disappointing what i heard him also saying but not saying is that uh, the current level of teaching in this country does not allow for that autonomy. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. Ah. It was absolutely in I, I mean, that was implicit, don't you think? Yeah, oh. yeah. I,
1: I didn't see that quote anywhere, but right. that was certainly, I think, at the gist. I mean, the quote is, the countries that give teachers more autonomy successfully are countries that have made an enormous investment in changing the pool from which they are selecting their teachers and making a much bigger investment than we do in education you of mi- our you you missed the teachers.
0: first line though you give people more autonomy oh, I said I said that already you did yeah. when you're confident that they can do the yeah. job I, I just uh, want to underscore it for Mr. Singh no, because I'm, he's I'm taking not,
2: exception with it I'm not taking exup- exception with it I'm saying I'm not saying that I think their definition of autonomy and what they're saying that teachers should have had should have control over autonomy, autonomy. <laughs> what they should have control over I'm not saying that we should they should have a booklet script for teaching I'm not saying that that should be that's, I think that's what they're referring to, like that teach-to-the-test type of thing. I'm talking about little things that would be, st- like, structural in your in a teacher's classroom that would help students. Like, the, the goal is to help students transition from class to class because the departmentalization and the, the class transitions, for the most part, are not going to go away.
0: Which, by the way, just to plug uh- – Teachers in interdisciplinary teams in middle schools have higher, uh, higher sense of job satisfaction than teachers in departmentalized. That's awesome. But but, but, but you're only. Ta- but I'm. It seems kind of like you're you're only focused on this, this routines and procedures kind of thing. I, I think the autonomy issue is bigger. It gets to curriculum. It gets to. That's not what it, I'm referring to. Instructional though. decisions. Yeah, but but. Uh, y- your focus seems to be somewhat lower level to me. It is, yeah. it is lower level
2: because I want teachers to focus on the really important stuff, which is teaching the content, delivering the content and you in think ways if that – these things
0: were standardized, then they could do that.
2: Well, it's one less thing that they have to – one less thing what, that they have to worry across about.
0: Across schools, across districts, across I'm talking states,
2: about in a, Let's say – let's say, take a middle school. I'm saying
1: – Let's tweet Betsy DeVos about this and ask
0: her. Oh, she has. She would hate that. Oh, I know. She, she thinks would really she, what hate, you hate think it. you think about this she idea? She calls it the the Malays. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But
2: what I'm saying is, I'm I'm talking about little pieces of a teacher's autonomy and a teacher's practice, that, you know, could really impact how a kid is transitioning into the middle school environment. I'm thinking. I guess I'm just thinking of middle school, but like. Something as simple as they go into one class, they have a warm-up notebook. They go into another class, they have a warm-up sheet. They go into another class, they just have a verbal warm-up. I just think that there's some things that we could be doing to help support kids better.
0: So it just worked out that I'm the last one talking. How I, I how, want how to know coincidental. that I, our Jeez. audience to know that I did not demand the last word on this, but, but I did. I saw Jonathan, Doctor Jonathan Plucker, who is a. Uh, I tweeted him today about weighing in on autonomy, and he did not respond. But I saw him speak at Hopkins uh, a year ago, the summer of 2016. And what he talked about was very interesting. He was, he was discussing the, the disconnect often between research and practice. Yep. And this idea of teacher autonomy came up and he talked about it, which is that teacher autonomy is, is definitely linked in research to satisfaction. Mm-hmm. However, teacher autonomy has not been very well linked to outcomes. That actually, prescriptive kinds of teaching, to your point, Mr. Siddons, to some degree, uh, has shown at least in the United States, maybe not in Finland, where these three disc- disgruntled Finnish teachers are, are coming from, um, it, it does. It does. Prescriptive teaching seems to produce better outcomes here, um, and so everybody says that that if your job satisfaction is higher as a teacher, you'll produce better outcomes, but that's not really what the research says. Mm -hmm. All right. Well... Now I'm feeling guilty about having the last word. Anybody want to say one last thing?
2: No, just lead us out. Okay,
0: all right. Because we're ready for the next section. All right, so when we... The next section. (laughs) Next segment. All right, the next segment, we are going to talk about failing schools i feel like this might be a little early in the school year to be talking about yeah about failing schools but we're gonna have a great discussion about failing schools and what we need to do to improve them don't go away we'll be back in just a few minutes Welcome back, everybody. This is Ed's Not Dead. We're glad you stayed with us. I hope Our you st- enjoyed that music break. <laughs> I know that was that. Is that music from Krabel's band? Yeah, it's oh, funky. Yeah. What's the
2: name of that tune? Uh, hot and Hot and I like that. I like
1: that name. Robbie, why don't you take us into the next section?
0: Failing Schools. So both you guys know that two years ago, the... Every Student Succeed Act, uh, the next iteration of, I guess, Race to the Top and way before that, No Child Left Behind, which was took up most of the sweet spot of my career, certainly as a principal and some as a teacher. Uh, a lot of that oversight of school improvement has now moved back from the feds to the states to local municipalities to school systems and so questions are arising again about what we're going to do nationally and at the local level about failing schools so it looks like there's going to be less federal involvement Uh, there are 16 states right now in the process of waiting on federal approval of their plans on how they're going to address dramatically underperforming schools Um, so this segment we're really going to delve into first of all what constitutes an underperforming school and then if we have time, talk about what the fixes are, if any. Is, did I just say that, if any? That's so depressing. Sorry. <laughs> what the Jeez. fixes are. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, that out. <laughs> and, I, and I have worked in underperforming schools, as have you two, right? Right. Uh, to some extent or another? Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's jump in. What constitutes an underperforming school? Can we start with the
2: positive, actually?
0: Yeah, sure. Go ahead. What,
2: what makes... An effective school. You what are that, some things make an effective? You think school?
0: that'll help us? I'm just reading the question that Krable no, had. No, I
2: no. I'm just saying let's start with a positive, and then move into the the not so positive.
1: Well, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's easier to find. I mean, a, an effective school where students are learning, students are happy, teachers are happy, everybody's learning.
2: Crable hates talking <laughs> the about the positive part. Does oh, no. look at him?
0: Jeez. Okay, so I'll give you some actual words other than just people are happy. Yeah. Um. And you tell Test me if I'm right, super great. OK, so I was going to say outcomes, right? We want we want good outcomes. Effective leadership. Those would be two. Uh, strong culture would be a third. And I would say maybe a fourth would be uh, some level of parental involvement or engagement. Th- those would be, to me, hallmarks of, of an effective school. Those are school.
1: objectively better lists than the list that I get. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, let's, you kind
2: that of encompassed all yeah, of yeah, them. I, I just broke it uh, out a So bit. Jim 1T Patterson, you might yes. know him. He said uh, it, it's great teachers. He called them superb, innovative, thoughtful behaviors.
0: Terrible counselors like himself. Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, social-emotional skill teaching.
0: He was the counselor of the year, I have to say that.
2: Positive behavioral management. Okay. Um, Grace said communication transparency student achievement okay. above all
1: so yeah. here's and so this is kind of the crux in the the where I always run into trouble is that you can have all that stuff and you can have lower than average outcomes yeah absolutely right so and what so does that say about the outcomes and so and this is this is also what I run into is I don't know if either you run into it um, but people ask me, oh, is that a good school? Just about, you know, whatever, any school, yes. a, a school that I know or right. school that I – and I have a really hard time answering that question because I'm like, well, what do you think a good school is? You know, because for everybody, for every layperson, it's different. And yep. if, you, if you're if you just like, well, I, all I want is some good – I want a school that looks good on paper data-wise, then that's what a good school is to you. But for me, you know, I, I think – a good school def- is defined by much more than that, and there can be really passionate, effective um, teachers and learning going on. Where, again, at the end of the day, those standardized test scores, um, whatever those are, just are lower than average. Right. Uh, so I just haven't. I don't know. I, that's why I, I always have trouble saying, "Well, what's a failing school?" Cause I, honestly, I don't really know. I feel like all the schools that I've worked at, even if the schools the scores have been not that great or not at the top of any list. I still feel like they've been really good schools with really good teachers who are dedicated yep. and students who want to learn.
0: So, aren't you engaging in in the George W. Bush statement of the the bigotry of? That was
1: oh, that was soft expectations. Uh, I stole my quote. I stole it. <laughs> that's such a good quote. Uh, I was like, George. I know. Well, Dubs the time I had,
0: that? I had. Yeah, well, George. Dubs Someone wrote it for bigotry him. Bigotry
1: of yeah. Yeah. low expectations. That was his
0: strategery wow. on that. that that's, what yeah. <laughs> that's what he said. That's what thought. And then he asked,
2: "Lockbox,
1: is, is our children
0: learning?
2: Yeah, you have a children. magnet for that. That's why. It is our children learning? Uh
0: so I would, yeah, flip it around to your point, Mister Crable. Um, if if you have a school in a, in a strong socioeconomic area with, um, you know, low free and reduced meals rate and you have high test scores, um, and, and let's say uh, a parent feels like the teachers aren't very good or the principal is not very engaged or not very good, but again, to your point, the outcomes say it's a good school. So the, so I'm agreeing with you that the outcome thing is mushy because you can, if, if, if achievement like we think it is, or like research shows is tied to, to socioeconomic background and, um, that that's a big factor in whether schools are successful or not. Um, I know that I'm now on the slippery slope of soft, uh, low expectations, but, uh, it is what it is. Yeah,
1: and in terms of what can be done about it, um, I never thought I would be here, but I looked back at No Child Left Behind to say, okay, you know what? What? What did we learn from it? What was good? Because, right. by and large, I think educators, policymakers, politicians look back on it, um, and With I don't disdain. think yeah, I don't think there's a lot of positive feelings and memories for it, um, regardless of of what actually happened with it um, and so for those that aren't familiar um, kinda how No Child Left behind worked was there was a standard that everybody had to reach and the goal after X number of years was that a hundred percent of students would be sufficient would be proficient um, in English and math and for schools that didn't meet uh, adequate yearly progress AYP there was a series of ever escalating um, corrective actions punishments uh, for you know is a better term um, so anyway, so Robbie's going to love this, this dude, <laughs> What's Tom <that>? on, <laughs> <laughs> i mean, I'm just, just citing stuff here, left and right, uh, university of Kentucky, he's esteemed a, researcher, he's a researcher,
0: <laughs> he's, he's, he's making himself laugh, <laughs> you know, a he, wrote a, he wrote a paper, <laughs> okay, no,
1: um, so anyway, so he he found and studied the corrective actions that were put in place by No Child Left Behind, and found that the only one that actually had an impact and had a significant impact um, was replacing the person at the top, the principal. Whoa! And the effect on student performance was significant, equivalent to reducing class size by a third
0: oh, to a half. You've been waiting for wow. this with that one.
2: Bazinga! Thank you. That, I mean that says I, I don't, that goes to show you how how much of an impact the principal has on a school but also is is it measured by the no child left behind standards that, like that the assessment that the students have to take because in my opinion that the test that students had to take was a pretty low standard for for educational expectations depends
0: on what depends on what measure you're talking about and i i agree peter i mean reading well no it depends on what test you're talking about not all tests are created equal there there were some there were some very viable measures in the No Child Left Behind era. Um, I
2: will say that the f- actual focus on data is a yeah. good outcome. You would okay. know better than anybody else. So yeah. of, of people at this table, what was the focus on data pre-NCLB?
0: Oh Well, I can tell you that uh, most staffs had never seen an Excel spreadsheet with students' data on it prior to NCLB. Um, how, how much
2: of a focus did you have on special ed, students who are special ed? I think we I whole think, school focus.
0: I think we focused on servicing their needs, on cer- individually, on service delivery and support and programming. I don't think schools focused on the expectation that uh, every child could learn. That if you had, if you were a student with disabilities or you were a second language learner um the, those the outcomes for those kids were not focused on
2: how about the focus on achievement gaps didn't what i tell you about asking me something. i'm, someone I'm talking about achievement so, gaps okay. what, what? i'm pressing you for someone who has no. experience before no. and after no
0: i i i don't think uh, i don't think the gaps were were focused on i think nclb effectively did all those things the question that i've always had and i did this and you know obviously i'm a i'm a white male educator And I spent a lot of years standing up in front of diverse parent groups pointing out the gaps between subgroups of kids. Um, And those gaps were stark sometimes between white and Asian, African-American and Latino kids. And there were times over the years where I started to feel like, what is my role in reinforcing these stereotypes by pointing these gaps out all the time? Right. What am I saying to parents about them and their kids? What message am I delivering? At one time I felt like, yay, I have so much courage that I can stand up and talk about this. But over time I started to think, are we really adding to the problem by continually telling certain groups of kids that they're, they're not achieving? It seems to me to be a little bit counterproductive after a while. And I think that was what happened with NCLB over time. Was we started to throw the baby out with the bathwater?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, a myopic fo- focus on those that weren't achieving, and but to the detriment maybe of everything else, yes. or yeah. or to your point, to the to the detriment of those kids who kept being told that they were correct, you know, underachievers or you know whatever the case might have been. Um, I think it also just while we're kind of looking at a historical perspective a little bit to see what we've done and then maybe what we can do, um, is race to the top. Very good segue. Yeah. So in terms of race to the top, um, the Obama administration put a big pot of money out there. The School um,
0: Improvement Grants, also known as SIGs. SIGs? Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Is that real? I am smoking a SIG. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's go ahead. Good. Sorry. So, yeah,
1: put a bunch of money out there if, if states would embrace. Bunch of money?
0: How about how many billions? Oh,
1: I didn't look that up. 20? A lot of billions. A lot of billions. A lot
0: of billions. Uh,
1: yeah, if they would embrace certain reforms. Um, and I, I, did, I didn't do too much looking, but I didn't find anything that said race to the top made any difference in terms of student achievement. So certainly states, a number of states uh, embraced it to get the money, but ultimately there was no profound effect or change. Um, And one of the biggest ones was incorporating um, student achievement into teacher evaluations. Wow. And so that really didn't make a difference either. So here we have federal involvement in tests from No Child Left Behind. Um, we have corrective action from No Child Left Behind, which they did find one thing in terms of changing the leadership. We have race to the top, which you know we might need a couple more years to right. determine lasting impacts. But at this point there isn't much much to be said for it. so that kind of leaves us looking forward. What are we gonna do? whats I, next? I,
0: I just to look backwards because you know you know I like history. <laughs> if If I had to weigh those two, I if I had to weigh those two federal initiatives at this point in time, yeah. if I had to benchmark them right now, I would I would say that NCLB had more of a lasting impact than Race to the Top. I, I think Race to the Top, um, you know, certainly the unions across the country. I mean, just ask Randy Weidengarten that from AFT. That was that was a big breaking point with her and Arnie Duncan and the Obama administration. That, you know, the Obama administration started really adopting. Um, they wanted states to start to look at value-added measures, which yeah. we talked about on the last episode. Yeah. They wanted they wanted states to more aggressively quantify the impact of teachers on outcomes, and I'm not I, I don't think that that has really over time been that successful. Uh, I think No Child Left Behind. There are a few things you can point to that it did do um, that it, it and if and if it wasn't if it didn't necessarily improve outcomes. It certainly created a massive mind shift in the mind of educators and the public in the United States.
1: I mean, it legitimately changed practice. Correct. It yes. changed practice.
0: Yeah. It changed education. It was a watershed m- moment for for education in this country, for better or for worse. Um, so, back to your your question: What to do? Let's get some teacher perspectives. Mr. Siddons. Oh. So you have you've you've been in classrooms. You've watched. Highly effective teachers teach. Ineffective teachers teach. Uh, you've been a part of leadership teams. Uh, you've worked closely with principals. Right. What, what and and you've worked in some challenging settings. What have you seen that that works?
2: I well, I, I'll turn to Twitter. Can I turn to Twitter you can first? Turn to Twitter, yes. Um, in terms of, well, Jeremy said, well, the question was, what can or should stakeholders do to best support a school that is struggling, and that includes teachers. That includes parents that includes administrators, district leaders, so on. Um, Jeremy said, create, define, implement a clear vision that puts student success first and develop actionable steps towards supporting that vision. I would like to bring up, you know many schools have a school improvement plan. You know to what extent do those actually have an impact on on making a school improve? We have because we if you have three or four goals that you're expected to have in that particular plan, what what does that show for a school? I don't know. And, and that's, I don't know. That's, 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 <laughs> so, so I have left I you. I was clear s- that was rhetorical. <laughs> I, know,
0: I know. What's hell?
2: Uh, I, I was just throwing it out there. Like, I think setting a vision is I important. Asked you a very hard question.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have do an keep, answer to that. Do you keep going to Jeremy McClary because he's the only one that responded on Twitter? <laughs> he, uh... Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, thank you. No, there uh, are other no. people that responded, but no. I wanted to make you sure You've raised a good in. point, school improvement plans. What do they do?
2: I, it in, sets out a vision, but right. do we follow through on that vision, and does it help improve schools?
0: Maybe, but I think if you focus
1: too much on an in, in, on any individual school, you're, you're missing the, the big picture. So we're talking about systemic reform. For the entire country, right? That is more or less when we talk about failing schools and where we are. It's it's everything. So yeah, I think you know there could be some individual practices within schools that could be implemented. Um, Can
2: that be done at a federal level?
1: Right, and I've not seen anything about like individual school practices. So one of the the things you found, Casey, had to do with um, schools that submitted their plans under ESSA. Yep, and um, a review was done by a group. Uh, a Washington consulting group um, and found that only two of the 17 states that had submitted plans for school turnaround or school improvement, whatever you want to call it, th- did they judge to actually be effective. And one of those was Tennessee. Um, so for Tennessee, they said the worst-off schools will be taken over by the state and managed by a charter school operator. Yeah, don't you love? Whoa, how well. to, don't
0: hold, you, on. Okay, hold on, hold on. That's just how yeah, am yeah, I not supposed ho- to respond to that? While, <laughs> this be finished,
1: It's a comma. Okay. While less needy schools could become part of a district's innovation zone, allowing schools to extend classroom time, pay teachers more, and give principals more autonomy to improve achievement. Go, Robbie.
0: Um, I just—I mean, there's not much to say other than I just love how states would would farm out their lowest performing schools to, you know, a a charter network that may or may not have any proven track record of success? Why are they any more capable of improving a school than the current institutional structure or bureaucracy? Um, I, I, you know, to me, it sounds like they're just saying, okay, we can't do this. We've tried let's give somebody else a shot, which is, you know, some people might agree with. I don't know. That's
1: also yeah. ignored successful right. examples of charter school implementation. in yeah. Washington, D.C. Right. Yeah. Where that's exactly what's happened.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm not, I'm not sure the research shows that that's been, you know, that effective in some situations I think it has been, but I, I don't know if that is a vision for how to improve schools or just a strategy right? Let's just, that's just kind of a, a last resort um, in what I would call, and this is, I made this up, coercive accountability, right? So that, 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 that the more you fail, the more, the more coercive the measures become. And I don't, I'm not sure that I believe that those are, that that's an effective way to improve schools. Now, I, I will say that you know, we all know about the new move towards mindset and Carol Dweck's work and grit, and those those things have all been really kind of hip educational ideas over the last few years. Um, going back to Albert Bandura's discussion of I love Bandura, yeah, you know, Bandura, self-efficacy. I think there's a part of school reform that we're not talking about, which is mindsets, which is all the all the ones that you cited are structural structural changes, right? fire the principal, get rid of the principal, do zero-based staffing, remove teachers, let kids to go, to go to different schools, provide more choice. But I don't think we talk about how to develop the mindsets of, of kids in highly impacted schools because we know that, that What about are, the
2: mindsets of teachers? Uh,
0: absolutely, teachers too. But we have to create an environment where kids have the right mindsets, and that has a lot to do with how we teach the expectations we have, the curriculum that we provide, there has to be meaning that the three R's—you know, the rigor, relevance, and relationships—those things, I, I'm not—I don't see any of those things in the suggestions for how to in, fix schools.
1: In, to interject here, so it will be interesting, and I don't have it in front of me, but I did read something over the summer about—I think it was Britain—was doing an enormous like longitudinal study mm-hmm. on growth mindset because that is more or less a strictly American phenomenon right. Right. that has just started to um, be looked at and examined overseas. And again, I, I don't want to speak too out of turn, but I think thus far in the little bit that they had done, and I'm not sure that they were able to find any r- relationship between teaching growth mindset and student outcomes. Interesting. Now, again, like, I need to be fact checked on that <laughs> fact. <laughs> I, so I, on that note, I, yeah. I've,
2: I've, there's a growing amount of research that says that the number one, the number one thing that would make a an, an, an individ, individual class to succeed that didn't, that whole sentence did not make sense. <laughs> the uh, n- the number one determinant of a of a student's success or a class's success would be the expectations of a teacher. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's reasonable. Yeah. So I mean. I'm not sure how we get to those things through any kind of national structural reform. Um, I do have a Finland case. did it. <laughs> okay, well. Let's do this
1: podcast from Finland. Those three oh! fi-
0: those three Finnish teachers don't start making music. you don't even have a Finnish I idea. have no <laughs> I have no
2: Finnish <laughs> it sound German action. Or action? It's more children. of like Dutch. Oh, yeah. Fricky, deaky, Dutch. <laughs> but but, that
0: that was that was That was gold number. It was. Sorry. That that was not (laughs) finish man. (laughs) It wasn't. Go ahead, Mr. Craig. No,
1: I just think to kind of summarize, yeah, where some of the points that we've talked about, and we did not solve it here in the last 15 or 20 minutes. But next time we will. We will, yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll read and do some research. But no, I think one of the things had to do with the leadership and the effectiveness in replacing the principal, and we got that from No Child Left Behind. Um, We mentioned some of the stuff about individual schools and having a Mm -hmm. focus on... Um, something specific to work towards. We talked about
0: what we also didn't mention with no child left behind, other than replacing the, the principal was uh, the proclivity of teachers to move out of high stakes tested areas in, in, in teaching. That was another, Ooh, that well, was that's another, true. that was another result of uh, not a positive result. Right. No and child that was
1: one of the recommendations that had approved, improve no child left behind. Yeah. Incentivized to teachers to teach in low performing Correct. schools. Yeah, um,
2: Subjects. Schools. I thought you were talking about subjects.
0: I've been talking about subjects. Oh, I was talking about schools. Yeah. No, teachers started like, to change. Like going from English the, to absolute, phys ed oh, or absolutely. social studies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They were the, the, there was a lot of research done that that started to increase because, again, of that coercive accountability it yep. comes to your autonomy mm-hmm. thing. I mean, there were some byproducts of No Child Left Behind that we can't deny that really affected kind of the psyche and, and job satisfaction of
1: yeah, teachers. for sure. And I think the last point that Robbie so vehemently agreed with, just kidding, was uh, allowing schools, the worst-off schools, to be taken over by charter schools and or charter school networks and looking at ways to innovate, which we didn't even really get a chance to get into.
2: Next time.
0: Yeah.
1: But with that being said, that is the end of that segment.
0: All right, boys. It is time for one of our favorite segments. We took so excited. We took a break last week. It is dear Betsy time, and she has recently delivered a speech that Mr. Siddons get us up to speed on it.
2: I'm actually looking at the picture right now on WashingtonPost.com, and it is I I may have thrown up the a little bit. Is that the picture of her and
0: Donald Trump kissing? Yeah,
2: they're basically ready to. <laughs> they're ready to. to yep. They, they were going. They're necking it. Okay. As they said back in the day, they're necking it.
0: All right. So what did she what did she say in Wyoming in the great state of Wyoming? Uh
2: well, not only did she say, but she, she didn't just say it in front of adults. She said to children that school is a mundane malaise. So does everybody know what malaise means?
1: It's a good thing, right? We want to be malaised.
2: Definitely good. Um, She said it's a mundane, she's talking about schools, it's a mundane malaise that dampens dreams, dims horizons, and denies futures. That's what we want in our education secretary, really uplifting our youth.
1: She's good alliteration. She
0: did. Yeah, that was that Dampens was dreams, yeah.
2: dims horizons. I, I,
0: I like this one, too, because I wonder what school she's been in. Uh, most students are starting a new school year that is all too familiar. Desks lined up in rows. Their teacher standing in front of the room, framed by a blackboard. That oh. sounds like a Norman, <laughs> Norman Rockwell it does. picture. Um, <laughs> they dive into a curriculum written for the, quote, quote unquote, average, average student. They follow the same schedule, the same routine. Yeah, you're all for that, Casey. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, hold on. That might not be such a bad thing. I actually like That's that. That's good thing, yeah. Uh, and just waiting to be saved by the bell. She got the name of the show in there. That yes, yeah. she did. Yeah.
1: She's a fan of the 80s. She also talked about the education system like it was- there, What? There's no system, Mr. There's no system. comprehensible incomprehensible concept. Nope. What's an education system? There is
0: no such thing. <laughs> yeah. What ninety percent of the kids are in it in the country? Robbie, I have a question.
2: Are you a system? Have <laughs> no. you uh, are were... individual students? <laughs> <laughs> have you guys heard of Ronald Reagan? No. Who's that? No. Who's Ronald? Uh, Reagan? He's this guy. He's Latin, right? Um, a, oh yeah, he's Latin. from. Yeah. yeah, he's definitely Latin. Okay. Um, and uh, what
0: did? He, what did? Didn't he say something about the status quo? Yeah,
2: he said it's. Uh, the, it said it's the. It's about the mess we're in. It's, it's uh, Latin for it's the mess. The
1: mess we're yeah. in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's, that's where we are. She just seems to really possess no uh,
0: concept of decency. I don't know reality. Oh, yeah, I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's decency. I I mean I think any of us could say that she's giving a giving a speech a political speech in front of kids. Right, um, two kids. I mean two, ki- just two kids. Of kids. It's yeah. Two kids. Yeah, two kids. Right, speaking to them about. Um, Actually, a system that they're not in because they're in an alternative model. Right. So we, we need that context, too. She wasn't telling them about their school. She was telling them about the poor kids in the other schools. That they won't have to interact with. Correct. Right. So that was uh, – to me, that's where she really steps in it. In, yep. in
1: for anybody that didn't read the article, which is everyone, the school is one that doesn't have a principal. So I think it's called a teacher-powered school. Um Sounds well, it's vaguely back to our autonomy. Teacher power. I think it sounds vaguely libertarian to me, though, where like there's no rules and nobody's in charge and everything is a group thing. But I don't, I don't know. I was too busy focused on the status quo and no education system. And the kissing <laughs> picture. <And> the, <laughs> and uh, the kissing picture. All don't right, worry,
2: I'll, I'll tweet the article out for everyone to read. Okay. And the picture too.
0: All right, so that's Dear Betsy for this week. Dear Betsy. Dear, dear Betsy, on your next school visit. Maybe she'll come on our podcast. Do
2: you, do you think she'll tweet out a
1: picture of teachers standing in front of blackboards in desks lined up in rows? I, w- I would just I like her so. to actually
0: yeah, like to actually visit a public school. I, I don't think, think it she's it, gone. She has No, any, she did. She w- that first one that she went to in the district in the and then she it, had to, like it, sneak it, in the back door with yes, bodyguards. It went, it bodyguards, went, it went so. terribly. It went yeah. really well. Yeah, I the one last thing I do wanna say is there wasn't there something in the article about that um, in Wyoming, she was going to get extra security for the Bears, that they were worried about that. No. <laughs> no, no yeah. It didn't say that. I don't, no, no, no. I didn't. I, I, didn't, know. I don't
2: know if that okay. said that. Right. should have. All right. All right, so ready? Mr. Siddons. Let's close this out. Quiz I show? have a great couple questions for you. Ooh, du- du- yeah, do, you, do, you like, do you like our new music? Oh, it's du-
0: awesome.
1: Du- 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 <laughs> well, if you, would, if you would stop, you oh, can sorry, sorry, hear the music okay.
0: Okay. I actually can't hear it because Cravel's going to do the dub later. The overdub? Is that what it's called?
2: No, it's happening right now. Okay. You're just. You can't hear it because you're old. Okay, let's get to the question. All right, so, ready? Question number one. In which country do children spend the most amount of time on homework? Why
0: do we have to do these? You asked for the questions. quiz. Okay. Um, 14 hours a week. Mr. Craig, you go first.
1: I'm going to say North Korea.
0: <laughs> no, South Korea. The other one, sorry. South Korea. I'll go with China. China. No, no. I, can I change? Singapore.
2: The correct answer is China. Oh! Hey. Yeah. Shanghai, actually. Darn. 14 hours a week. Crazy. I was a Singapore math teacher. How, I don't even know what that means. That's for another second. Go ahead. What? Um, how much time does your son spend on his homework a week?
0: That's not a part of the quiz. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, go on.
2: Which country has the lowest literacy rate in the world at 27%?
0: Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, was it state or country? We just lost a whole listener base. <laughs> okay. Sorry, jeez. Geez. Was it state or country? A uh, country, oh, okay. country. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I'll go with Canada. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> Lowest. Uh, okay.
1: uh, I will go with Democratic Republic of Congo.
0: Whoa. I'll, I'll go with uh, El Salvador. South Sudan twenty seven percent. You were close. Was bumbling, uh, that so. was a very
2: good bumble, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Alright, next is this the is this the this is the last one? Last one. Okay. okay. Approximately
2: how many children in the world are not in school? Uh, how many millions?
1: Okay, okay. so yeah, that's a that's yeah, a good hint. Not billions. I'll say two hundred and fifty million. Okay. I will say seven hundred and seventy five million. Man! two sixty million?
2: What did you Wait. guess? <laughs> he said two fifty.
0: Always pick a quarter. Oh. By all the right.
1: way, I, I would like to say that I really enjoy the participation trophy thing for everyone. Yeah, you all win. Yeah, I think millennials are okay. really on this. Listen, we <laughs> got it. We got it.
0: This is about the most millennial show you can find. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, it's been a great show, guys. It sure has, uh, Mr. Sid. You want to? You want to? I. You want to prep us for future guests? What do we, we have.
2: Got coming um, I, I'm pretty sure that we're going to get Curtis Linton very to nice. come onto the show. That's Very gonna be exciting. Awesome. He's going to talk about leading for equity All in right. schools.
0: So we are. We're going to do a very large segment on race and equity, and yep. and, and he's going to gonna be talking from the mountains. Okay. All right, good. And then we're going to tie in some of our school improvement, how to address failing schools with with Mr. Linton. I think yeah. that'll be great. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. We're going to have Ed Excellence on as well. So Educational we'll Excellence. excellence. Yeah. yeah, okay. And then that's going to be a, our, our new segment, and we're excited about that. And you can reach us at...
2: Ed's Not Dead PC on Twitter or Facebook.
1: I'm at Peter RW
0: RWDod
2: ch siddons
0: all right folks please spread the word about it's not dead we really appreciate you tuning in every two weeks to listen to our podcast if you have ideas or suggestions for the show hit us up like mr siddons said at ed's not dead pc we look forward to talking to you in two weeks